Today's reading is taken from Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 50. Acts chapter 16, verses 6 to 15. And can be found on page 1111 of the Church Bibles. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Well, if you've been here over the last couple of weeks, you might be forgiven for wondering what has happened to Acts 2 to 15. But fear not, they will be back. We're having a short two-week detour, and we will be back for Pentecost in two weeks to pick up the story at chapter 2. But this passage today is a beautiful illustration of the series title that Pads gave us a few weeks ago, for our study of Acts. The continuing acts of Jesus by the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers. So let's pray together before we look at it in more detail. Father God, we thank you for your word and for your Holy Spirit. What treasures we have. Would you open our hearts and our ears this morning so that each one of us may receive what you have for us through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you might like to keep your Bibles open at page 1111 as we'll be going through the passage quite systematically. So I wonder what or who you look to for guidance, particularly when things are unclear. And these days, the default is often Google, isn't it, for most of us? Maybe we'll get out a manual or a map. Or in some cases, we might ask a trusted friend. Perhaps there's a big decision to be made in our lives, maybe over a job. Is it the right time to move? Maybe there's a financial dilemma. Can I really afford to retire? Should I have that operation or medical treatment that might have side effects? Which secondary school should I put down as first choice for my child? 
And is there a sense sometimes that the doors to some decisions open quite easily, whereas others maybe need a bit more persuasion? And maybe some doors seem locked and firmly bolted. We all need guidance. But who can we trust? There's so many scammers and fraudsters around these days, isn't there? And even in our own circle of family and friends, it can be hard to get an objective opinion with no agenda. Many look to the supernatural. If any of you travel up the Bath Road regularly, you'll see the signs for the psychic fairs up at the mansion house, which people flock to, searching for guidance. But the good news for us as Christians who've put our faith in Jesus is that he promises his Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us. And it started with those original disciples and in those people in the early church who responded to the saving power of the gospel. This book of Acts so vividly depicts that. The Holy Spirit poured out at Pentecost gave power to challenge and to change And with that, to guide and direct people's hearts and actions in a really dramatic way that would see the church grow beyond Jerusalem, further afield, throughout the whole Roman Empire and even beyond. And this part of Acts describes a key period when the gospel spread beyond Asia Minor into Europe and the astonishing way this happened. Now, the Apostle Paul had been an enemy of the early church, but he'd met with Jesus famously on the road to Damascus, and he'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the power of that Spirit, he'd been sent out on missionary journeys beyond Jerusalem to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what his death and his resurrection meant for all people. And he'd been successful in Cyprus and Asia Minor, And he was now, at the beginning of our passage, on his second missionary trip. And as we look through the first four verses of this passage together, we can see the different ways that Paul is guided by the Holy Spirit, which we can also see very clearly in our own lives. Firstly, common sense. We don't lose our common sense when we come to faith. It made sense to Paul to revisit churches from his first missionary journey, to encourage them and see how they were doing, and then to continue on preaching in Asia. And sometimes, in order to get started, we just need to get going in the way that seems the most sensible, given the circumstances and the resources we have. When our car sat-nav is silent, it's hopefully a sign to keep going straight on, and guidance will come. However, the Holy Spirit prevented Paul, not once, but twice, from taking the logical path. How was it done? Was it a vision? Was it a word from a prophet? Or a strong sense of just knowing? Some commentators have suggested that it was the recurrence of Paul's unnamed illness or affliction which stopped them, and that Luke, the author of this uh, book, as a doctor, joined the group to minister to Paul. 
It's an interesting thought, especially when you look closely at the passage and the wording Luke uses. In verse 8, he's talking about them. But by verse 10, he's talking about we. Has Luke joined the party at some point and now is a direct eyewitness? It's an interesting idea. And we're not told exactly what it was that stopped Paul going into um, these areas and departing from his logical agenda. But the doors were closed, nevertheless. And he didn't try and cling on to his plan. So this was the second way Paul was guided, by paying attention to closed doors. And as we shall see, later recognising an open door. And notice that he was obedient to where not to go before he was told where to go. And sometimes we don't understand why a particular door in life seems to be closed to us. And we only understand later that it was because God had a different plan. When I was a child, we moved around a fair bit due to my father's job. And one summer, as we prepared to relocate yet again... I prayed every day that we wouldn't move. I didn't want to lose the set of friends that I'd built up. It just kept happening over and over again. However, we did move at the end of that summer, and I was disappointed in prayer. Many years later, on an Alpha course, when I related my early experiences of prayer in the group, I was asked what happened after that, to which I blithely said oh, well, we never moved again, and I'm still close friends with many people I met at that time. And my wise Alpha leader replied, God did answer your prayer, just not how you thought he would. You were asking for security and lasting friendships, and with that last move, you got them. He knew the right time to move and the right time to stay better than I did. And of course, as a child, I had no control over that situation. But as adults, we can choose to be guided and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And we know from what Jesus told us of the Holy Spirit that he is the counsellor who will lead us into all truth. And sometimes we'll only understand later why we were led to a certain place. And we might have that, aha, moment. Now I get it. Thirdly, Paul had a direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. And if you look back to the previous chapter, he'd had a direct revelation through Scripture, where the words of the prophet Amos guided him in how to reach out to the Gentiles. But in this instance, it happens after he travels on northwesterly to Troas, where he has a vision during the night of a man begging him to cross over the Aegean Sea into Macedonia, which is a province of northern Greece, and to help the people there, presumably by preaching the gospel, because they too needed the saviour. And we don't know who that figure was. In one fascinating suggestion by a commentator, it's that the person was Alexander the Great, who was a man who had succeeded in conquering the world his aim to marry the east to the west 
and so make one world. And so what's the location here significant? The full name of Troas is Alexandrian Troas, after Alexander the Great. And just across the sea was Philippi, called after Alexander's father. Hmm. Could this vision have given Paul the inspiration, the impetus to bridge Asia and Europe for Jesus? Could God be speaking to you through his word, through a dream, through a picture that comes into your mind, or a sense of his voice speaking clearly to you? I remember when I first went into Christian leadership, seeing a clear picture of a three-legged tripod and sensing the Holy Spirit telling me that I needed to watch my diet and my sleep and my exercise to keep healthy in leadership. If any leg is weak, the tripod collapses. And this is a constant challenge to me. But I know that when I return to that wisdom again and again, things feel a lot more balanced. And fourthly, the Holy Spirit can work his guidance through the advice of others. If we look at verse 10, in weighing everything up, Luke uses the Greek word, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, I don't know if there's any Greek theologians here, sumbibazo, which means to knit everything together. The group came to the conclusion together, with everything that had happened before, that they were being called to Macedonia. They took it as positive guidance. And that's why we have prayer days and vision evenings together as a church, so that we can pray together and we can discern together where God's spirit is moving. And sometimes as individuals, we need the wise input of others to help us see what God's doing. And it's wonderful to have good mentors around us who can help us. I'm sure many of you can point to uh, people who've been significant along the way in your Christian journey. The Bishop of Oxford, Stephen Croft, has also been looking at this passage recently in his continuing uh, push for us to be a more contemplative, courageous and compassionate church. And he highlighted that the mission of Jesus is about the transformation of the whole world and the bringing in of the kingdom of God. And in looking at this passage, he goes back to Luke's earlier work, his gospel, and he highlights a key area of Christian mission, the calling of disciples to follow Jesus, to be agents of God's kingdom. And he quotes the verse that Jesus calls to Peter and the other first disciples in Luke 5, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Could this be, in a sense, what Paul was being asked to do? It must have been a very brave decision for him to cross over the Aegean Sea to a different continent and head for Philippi. But it would prove truly momentous. Europe would go on to be the first Christian continent from which Christianity then spread throughout the world. And Philippi, where they headed, was part of the Roman Empire, a leading city. 
Right away, it was different for Paul and his, and his companions. There was no synagogue for them to go to, to begin preaching the gospel. But they found an informal place of prayer by the river, outside the city gates. And the first people documented as receiving his message was a group of women, with one woman, Lydia, given special mention. She was the first recorded convert in Europe. How exciting is that? She's on the margins in so many ways, praying outside the city. A woman with no man as a a protector that we could see. She was a Gentile who'd come into contact with the Jewish faith and now believed in God. And there's a clue that she was at the top end of the social scale and wealthy as she was trading in purple cloth, extremely expensive, worn by the rich and famous. One commentator said that she was the Karen Millen of her age. She would have had influence, opening doors for Paul and for the gospel message. So I wonder, was that meeting with Lydia a Holy Spirit divine encounter? placing her and Paul at the right place at the same time. But the Holy Spirit was not just at work in the hearts of the wealthy Jewish believers. If you look on further in this passage, in this chapter, there are significant encounters with a demon-possessed slave girl and a Roman jailer. God's kingdom is for such as these and for all of us here today regardless of our background, our finances, our past. The Holy Spirit is in the business of breaking down all barriers. And so God opened Lydia's heart. The Holy Spirit was definitely at work, shining his light in. She responded to Paul's message and believed it. And this happened to me at the start of my Christian journey and led me to want to find out more about Jesus. A friend who'd recently done an Alpha course gave me this little booklet, Why Jesus, which many of you will recognise. And as I opened it, I read these words. You and I were created to live in a relationship with God. Until we find that relationship, there will always be something missing in our lives. Those words made perfect sense to me at that moment. God opened my heart to receive that message and I wanted to know more. And at that moment, Lydia was baptised with her household, presumably in the river, it was handy, uh, right there next to them, a public sign that hers was now a Christian home. And she responded in kindness, opening up her home to the travellers. And that probably became the meeting place for the church there. And hospitality and generosity of any kind was a strong sense of the Holy Spirit at work in the early church, providing for each other's needs. And it's the same for us today. We too are living, as Pad said, in the age of the Spirit. And when we grasp the love of Jesus for ourselves, it begins to change how we see others. And we share what we have generously as a response to God's love and mercy. I remember on Alpha somebody asking about tithing. Why, why do 
believe. And one helper said, God changes your heart and you want to give. How has your heart been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Paul and his companions and Lydia as the first Christian convert in Europe were attentive to the Holy Spirit, allowing him to challenge, to guide and to change them. And in doing so, they helped to bring in the growth of the church. So how attentive and obedient are we to the promptings of the Holy Spirit that may be opening doors to new places and closing doors on the old or even on the not quite yet? Do we recognise and respond to promptings that direct us towards certain relationships and away from others for God's wider purposes? And perhaps to a time in the future when we will say, aha, now I understand. I'd like to close with a prayer by Bishop Stephen from this passage. God of love, the sea is so great and our boat is so small. Inspire your church as we put out into deep water. Help us to be contemplative, compassionate and courageous in your mission. Guide us by your spirit to discover where you are working. Help us to join in the building of your kingdom and anoint us afresh to make disciples in your name. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who calls us and sends us with you and the Holy Spirit,